What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got special guest Aaron Orton on the line. Aaron is a fellow natural bodybuilder. He is a pro in the WNBF Federation. He is awesome, and he is a beast in the gym and in life, and we talk all about natural bodybuilding. He is going to be doing the same show that I'm going to be doing in April. I hope to be competing against him. I have to earn my pro card in this federation in March in order to be qualified to compete against him. But there's like a little trifecta. We got him, we got Lionel, we got me, hopefully all competing against each other. It's just going to be good, good vibes all around. So I really just kind of wanted to dive into conversation with him about nutrition protocol strategy, contest prep, natural bodybuilding, all that it entails. I really enjoyed it, learned a ton. Hope you do as well. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Aaron Orton. We're live. Aaron, how are you, man? I am outstanding. I'm glad we could finally get together and do this. Yeah, yeah. we both got pretty busy schedules, so we had to kind of make, make ends meet and make it work, but I'm glad we, we're talking today. Absolutely. So I want to give the audience a little bit of backstory here. We met at a, I guess, one of the Washington Natural Bodybuilding Competitions. I'm not sure which one. I think the one in 2014, maybe, is when we met. 15, I believe. Well, I don't know. Your first show was 2015 at the Washington, right? Your first Washington show, I should say. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Something like that. So that was the first time I saw you on stage. I did the Washington the year prior as a NANBF show, Mm -hmm. not INBF yet. So uh, I was unsure if you were at that show, but I know you were working with Khan the next year. Yeah, yeah. I was with Khan the next year and then the year after... Or the next time I competed, and I just went solo. Uh, yes, and did it. Yeah, it was. So, so let's just kind of not, let's just back up a little bit farther, man. Natural bodybuilding. You and I are both natural bodybuilders. That's how we kind of know we we run around the same circles, group of people. What got you into the sport of natural bodybuilding? Give me some backstory here. Oh boy. Uh, well, I had a mother who was a bodybuilder, and so I was in the gym. Uh, quite a bit just in daycare and such growing up. Uh, my mom was a very consistent lifter and she had prepped for a couple shows, actually never competed. She had uh, got injured after one and then you know life happened after another. Uh, so she dropped out of sh- two shows, but she did uh, prep uh, multiple times. I uh, got in really good shape. Uh, she was a natural athlete and uh, just kind of set the example. Uh, my dad went to the gym uh, pretty much every day as well. And he uh, always talked about how it had the health benefits, but he never had a desire to compete. But uh, for myself, I, you know, I thought it was cool, but nothing really important until 2005, 2006. I was uh, actually in the Marine Corps, and I needed to improve my physical fitness score in order to pick up a rank. So. Uh, 2006, January 1st, New Year's resolution. I said, I'm going to start going to the gym and uh, I'm going to make it a lifestyle. And I haven't stopped since. I love it, man. It's, it's, I feel like most people that in the, earn the sport uh, earn it because they need to just improve their life and they wind up falling in love with the journey and the process and the rest is history. Yeah, I, I think I would have been satisfied with my physique way back uh, then, 2008, 2009, if it wasn't for bodybuilding shows. Uh, 
after I did my first one in 2008, I was kind of hooked. And uh, then you, as as you know, you're never satisfied thereafter. Yeah, totally. So the sport of natural bodybuilding itself, I feel like is, is kind of like this unknown genre. Like people think bodybuilding and they think, you know, cover of Flex magazine, people that are on steroids. And that couldn't be farther from reality from what we deal with and, you know, are well-versed in. So kind of just like define the sport of natural bodybuilding, if you will. Uh, to me, natural bodybuilding is uh, very much a lifestyle. You don't really have a, uh, I, I guess, a, uh, a way out. You have to eat right. You have to exercise right. You have to stay the course. You can't uh, do it six months a year and not six months a year and be successful. So uh, for me, it's, you know, this is kind of what I'm passionate about. At the end of the day, if there was no contests, it would still just be about improving in the gym and progressing. Um, and that's kind of how I live my life in all regards is if I'm not moving forward, I'm going backwards. So uh, natural Bible is just a, a great health benefit, a great way to keep my mind right. And uh, I feel like most natural bodybuilders uh, have a lot of camaraderie because that's really all they have. They don't have any animosity towards, oh, this person took such and such drug or uh, this hormone in order to achieve their look, they had to work their butt off. And uh, I've noticed a lot of support therein. That's one thing I've definitely noticed as well. I feel like, you know, I've competed in NPC shows and not to talk bad about NPC, but I feel like there's just so many more like clicks and everything backstage. And there's just like this, this negative air about the competitors. Whereas with, you know, backstage and natural shows, everybody like truly is helping one another. Like the, the people I'm about to step on stage and compete against are like willing to you know help me put my tan on if I need it. Like they, they just want to yeah. help. I agree completely. I think once it comes to stage time, we all know, you know, there's nothing more we can do. Might as well relax and chill out because you know, the work is done. Uh, it's up to the judges at that point. And uh, you, you didn't <laughs> take any diuretics or anything in order to, peak more efficiently you just did what you had to do and uh get on stage and let the judges decide the rest totally and the the sport itself i mean especially in the federation that we typically compete in i feel like the wnbf inbf that's kind of like the the gold standard of natural bodybuilding i i believe today it is uh you know when i first started coming up i really didn't know much about uh, the differences in federations but um about a decade ago, they had a national bodybuilding magazine, and I would look at that, and it'd sit next to muscular development, flex, and muscle and fitness, and the physiques were far more attainable, but they still looked good. You know, they they were like, wow, this person's a world champion, but it was a physique that I was like, you know what, if I work my butt off, maybe I can get there. But when I looked at the cover of the other ones, it was like, well, that's not possible. Uh, and so I, I really feel like natural bodybuilding is um, – uh, progressed to multiple federations, but at this time and this day and age, uh, the biggest outreach seems to be the INBF and WNBF and the best drug testing protocols as well. Uh, they they seem to treat their athletes the most fair. Yeah, I mean, it's like, ten, I think they just increased it from seven years drug-free to 10 years drug-free, right? That is correct. Yeah, last year was the uh, switch on that. Yeah, so 10 years drug-free, and then they do like a polygraph test for all competitors. Then the, is it the top three winners of each class or is it just the overall that's gets that gets your analysis tested any any pro card winners so if you are someone who either won 
your overall, or in some cases, the second place person, if there's enough competitors, uh, is also eligible for a pro card. Uh, so they would both be uh, your analysis. And this banned substances, I don't feel like people have a clue what they get into until they look at that because that is not just simply like no steroids. It's like none of anything that could possibly be putting you at an edge. I mean, there's like no diuretics. I mean, there's no, you know that uh, bucked up deer antler supplement? Like that's even on there. Like you can't take anything. (laughs) The IGF-1 supplement, yes. Uh, So really what the WNDF has decided is that – since there's so many natural federations, the biggest difference therein is where we kind of draw the line and what has decided, you know what, we're just going to be cut and dry and say we are the most stringent, we are the strictest of all, and nothing's going to get through it. You are either natural or you're not. No gray area. So that includes things like, you know, um, fat burner assistance, like uh, Anwang extract or, or ephedra. Uh, and it also includes things like 1,3-dimethyl and over-the-counter products that uh, otherwise would be allowed in some federations. Uh, this also includes uh, supplements that people commonly take, uh, like DHEA. That's also a banned substance for up to a year now in the WNBF. And a lot of these supplements, people are like, well, well what about me? My doctor recommended or... Uh, I, I picked this up over the counter, I take it for health benefits. Uh, you need to be very aware of what you're putting in your body if you're going to compete uh, in the INBF and WNBF uh, to abide by those rules. They want to make sure it is truly a level playing ground because if it's not, we start getting into those times when we're just battling who can take the most supplements, even if they're over the counter. Uh, and that's not what we're after. It's it's pretty you know, respectable what you see, like what they're doing, because it just rules out so much of the shade of gray in between the lines. I mean, if I'm looking at supplements online and I'll, you know, see if there's any ingredient that I don't know, I literally like start getting anxiety until I just know without any reasonable doubt that it is totally (laughs) safe and clean. And I'll just check and check. You're you're just like me. I'm the same way. I I ask that extensively. uh, If like company says hey i'm gonna send you a free product i want to try it out i go whoa 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 (laughs) Uh, who are you and what's in it uh i had a case of uh, my last contest prep in 2016 my sister uh, was the brand name ambassador for a company and she sent me their Mm pre-workout and i was like okay i looked at the ingredients it was stuff i've already taken pretty basic but the quantity was much greater um and i took it being a, a lean individual who's very sensitive to these things and Oh my gosh, I probably worked out for two or three hours straight. And I was concerned that I had just taken something that was not allowed. Uh, And so I called the actual president of that supplement company to discuss extensively if he didn't just screw me over. But he laughed and he's like, no, Aaron, you just took about 600 milligrams of caffeine. And I was like, well, that explains it. Uh, (laughs) And so uh, that is something I think you and I um, have learned to be super concerned about because it would really be frustrating and suck if you um, went on, did a show one, and then you did your UA and something came out uh, negative. Yeah, totally. So when it comes to supplementation, then with natural bodybuilding, especially within this federation, like what do you what what do you supplement with? Like what are your go tos that you know are safe and that you know provide a benefit and kind of just offer that 
you know, natural edge as so much as you as you possibly can. So my supplemental profile for myself and my athletes uh, is always food derivatives. So as we go lower calorically, uh, we obviously start getting uh, less nutrient content from, let's say, if you're a ketogenic dieter, maybe uh, what we'd get from carbohydrates. If you're uh, a low fat dieter, what we get from higher fat intake. Uh, so I start looking into supplementing with uh, those nutrients. So I usually start with a multivitamin uh, and then I get to vitamin B3 specifically as it's going to be kind of our, our best best for luteinizing hormone, pituitary gland. And, you know, if we can't get to a lot of sun exposure, like my northern climate here in Oregon, uh, it's pretty nasty outside right now. Um, I'm going to supplement with an avid amount of vitamin D3. Um, and I'll have my athletes do that as well. Uh, the only concern therein is um, stone formation, actually. Uh, for those who take too much D3 over a prolonged period of time, uh, while simultaneously being dehydrated, we actually see a larger occurrence of stone formation. So I, I do caution that and say, hey, make sure you're hydrated, as all athletes should be. But uh, every now and then I have one that has a hard time drinking enough water, so we might reduce that D3 consumption. Um, besides that, uh, a couple of minerals, zinc, magnesium, calcium, seem to uh, be some minerals we strip when we sleep, um, and they're good for muscular recovery. So I usually shoot for that as a multi-mineral. And uh, then we start getting into specifics. Um, fish oil is one. If I have someone who eats a lot of fish, then it's unnecessary. But someone who, let's say, uh, was raised to not eat much of it, which I seem to find some kind of omega uh, product. Uh, and then to a lesser extent, um, we start talking about specifics on things from creatine monohydrate to uh, a beta alanine to caffeine, uh, even sodium. Uh, I, I, will, I will use sodium as a, a supplement uh, prior to workout to try and get a little bit more out of someone's resistance training if they uh, uh, need more help with, let's say, a pump without that caloric intake attached. So those are kind of my staples. I don't, uh, I don't go too far beyond that. Uh, we can start talking about things like uh, testosterone boosters, but I would rather say, hey, let's improve sleep habits. Um, or if they are taking um, uh, like citrulline malate as a vasodilator, uh, then that would be something that I'd be like, okay, um, vascularity on some uh, is more genetic than others, but I do find that sodium and proper carbohydrate timing seems to work just as well yeah sodium i mean i can i can tell a night and day difference in my you know ability to get a pump and vascularity if i've got my electrolytes dialed in properly yeah it seems to be the most commonly uh underdosed uh electrolyte and uh soluble ion uh, people that have this negative connotation with sodium when they don't understand it totally totally so you are in prep i am in prep how many weeks are you in right now 43. 43 weeks? Yes. All right, good gosh, Amani. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> uh, so I started my contest prep May 1st of last year, uh, weighing about 215. And uh, obviously the goal always is to get as lean as possible. Um, I'm sitting about 183 right now, um, looking to hit the 170s here for my final show of the season um, in seven weeks from today. So four and a half, five pounds to go. Um, and uh, that puts me about 0.8 pounds a week. 
And I've averaged about 0.6 pounds a week for this entire prep. Uh, my idea of a proper contest prep is what's most adherable. Uh, since I have um, two children now, this prep, I've never had children <laughs> during a prep, uh, three-year-old toddlers, I want to make sure that I didn't uh, rush the prep and have a hard time finding balance. So I started early uh, in mid, so my deficit wasn't as great. Uh, and it's honestly done really well for me. I've been able to have more diet breaks. I've been able to have more refeeds. I've been able to um, kind of stop and reset and actually maintain most of my strength for the whole prep. I uh, actually set some strength records here the last month or two after already dieting over six months. And uh, that compares me to my powerlifting 215 pound self. So uh, I'd say it's been a pretty effective prep thus far, but I understand that uh, this length of prep is not tolerable for everybody. So with the 43-week prep, you've you've done like legitimate diet breaks and you've kind of had some, uh, you know, refeeds in there so that you, you haven't been like strictly adhering to a very specific macro uh, breakdown that entire 43 weeks, right? Uh, you know, there's been aggressive weeks. Uh, there's been pushes. Uh, I think in January I had, I had like a 16 day, no refeed, really aggressive push, uh, to get a little more fat off me. And that uh, yielded some, some more glute lines. Uh, and then I kind of got to that body fat percentage and then, uh, relaxed a little for a couple of weeks. And for me in the past, I've never gotten really lean and, and stayed there. Uh, I always actually thought it wasn't really possible or I might uh, incur some some deficits with strength but I I've noticed if I I up my calories slightly not a lot but slightly and I kind of hit caloric maintenance uh, I maintain that body fat percentage with a lot uh, clearer of a mind and mentality so I've never actually been this lean and just chilled out here comfortably in my life and uh, it's an educational experience for me this time around because uh, I realize it is possible I want to dive into some specifics here because, you know, I'm, I'm keto. You're, you're following more of a flexible dieting approach. I want to kind of just pick your brain as to what your overall protocol has been like. You know, don't reveal any trade secrets or anything here, but what was your, uh, what, what do you think your, like, caloric baseline maintenance is, like, at the very beginning of prep? Oh, geez. Uh, I was losing weight uh, without trying, essentially, and I usually recommend that for my best bodybuilding athletes that they don't start a prep until it's difficult to even maintain the off-season weight, meaning that you're force-feeding yourself and you're uncomfortable just to maintain weight. Well, that's a that's a sign that, you know, our left and ground levels are, are kind of where they need to be to start a prep. Uh, so I was eating 4250 a day without exercise uh, and losing weight when I started my prep. Um, and then I had to actually add a, a milkshake every single day in my diet on top of my meals in order to garner any more increases in weight. Uh, as soon as I dropped that milkshake, I literally just started melting. I uh, dropped probably my first eight to 10 pounds off doing nothing but dropping that milkshake. And then um, from that point on, I just uh, essentially upped the intensity of my resistance training. I went from powerlifting to bodybuilding splits and that probably dropped another five to 10 pounds before I decided, you know what, now we got to drop our calories lower. Um, and I think after about the first 15 pounds, I had to get down to about 3,500 
Uh, and then every, every five pounds or so since then, I'd say I dropped 300 calories or so. So I'm currently in a deficit at 2,300 calories per day. And then, uh, my maintenance seems to be 26. Gotcha. Gotcha. I feel like, you know, I feel like you and I are on the same page when it comes to the importance of the pre-prep foundation. I feel like a lot of people just dive into wanting to do a prep that they don't have the, the proper foundation laid, but like basically force feeding almost until you get to that point where it's uncomfortable to eat to really maximize any muscle gained and have like a legitimate productive off season is so important. I mean, I was doing, um, like my maintenance was right around, you know, 3,500 calories. I was eating around 4,000. There was like a three month span where I pushed it up to 6,000 calories a day. And yeah, I couldn't do it. I couldn't move. <laughs> yeah, but, but I tell you, man, like that's that ramps up your metabolism so much, so that when you do start cutting calories, your body just becomes ultra responsive to it. Yes, and I think that's where you need to be if you want a super successful prep and maintain uh, desire and motivation. Uh, because if you start a prep and you have a lot of weight to lose and it's already difficult, well, you're you're in for a really long haul, and it's not going to be a enjoyable experience at all. Yeah, totally agree. So you're at 2,300 calories now, you said? Yes. And what, what is your overall, like, what, what is your macro breakdown? Uh, I'm sitting at about 240 protein per day. Um, my carbohydrates are anywhere between 250 and 300, depending on my activity level. Um, I eat a little bit more in back and leg days uh, as they are a little more demanding. Uh, I find that if I put my carbohydrates pre-workout, I kind of can still garner the strength I had at a heavier body weight. Uh, and that's been a really big learning experience for me is that I might, you know, I work out in the afternoon around one or 2 PM and I might actually consume 70 to 75% of my food for the day prior to that, uh, in order to maintain my strength. Uh, and then I eat very lightly for the remainder of the day because I don't really need those calories and while it's nice to eat before bed you know be full that's really not where we're at this close to showtime or allowed to be uh my fat though and you're gonna be like oh my gosh is that a ketogenic diet uh, is about 30 20 to 30 a day um extremely low and you know after this is i think my eighth prep um i have found that i just respond better better and i can get away with more food volume by the carbohydrate and protein complexes versus uh, fat content. So um, the, the biggest degradation they're in is obviously hormonal output and to a lesser extent, a joint integrity. See, we are basically on totally opposite ends of the spectrum because whereas you're getting 20 or 30 grams of fat, I'm getting 20 or 30 grams of total yeah, carbs. Yeah, <laughs> no, and that's what's so great to do this with you because we can share with the world that, uh, you know, we all have different ways to, to bake the brownies and, and get uh, get our end result. Totally, totally. So, with with your fat being that low, actually, back up a little bit. With you having that many carbs in such a large bolus, do you have any kind of GI discomfort or stress during the oh, workout? No. I, uh, in fact, my refeed yesterday was uh, 560 grams of carbs. Um, uh, but I had to maintain that low fat intake. So you can just imagine how difficult that is. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're talking uh, white rice, cream of wheat, banana, things like that to get the carbohydrate content up uh, 560 without bringing that 
fat or protein level. Um, so I, I don't ever experience GI distress. I'm lucky. I, I'll call it the marine belly. You know, I, I, I've never had a problem eating food. Uh, <laughs> I am fortunate because I do have some clientele that we have to be extremely careful with um, because certain foods will upset their GI. And we both know that your GI is distressed. You are not going to look or feel uh, like the athlete you could be. Totally, totally. What about, you kind of alluded to, you know, joints and, you know, hormonal changes yes. with your fat being so low. I mean, like fat, cholesterol, that's all like the precursor to testosterone. So, Correct. like, have you done any blood tests just out of curiosity? I, I don't feel like I need to. I could tell you my testosterone levels are probably a third, though, of what they were when I started. So, no sex uh, drive. <laughs> things that you notice with, you know, high testosterone levels, uh, sense of well-being, um, contentment, uh, libido, uh, body temperature, uh, hypothalamus, uh, all these things um, are things we notice, you know, when our hormone output is correct. And, and I feel like in the off season, I'm very, very well aware of those things that, uh, you know, I have no complaints in the world, but uh, being, being this lean and uh, maintained for a prolonged period of time, having my hormones obviously a little lower than they should be, uh, I notice, you know, times when I just don't feel like the the masculinity levels are as high as they could be. From anything from uh, freezing extremities to um, uh, moodiness, irritability, no libido, um, uh, sleep deprivation. These are all very commonplace right now. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I don't know. This this is something I wished I would have done before I started keto versus now. Like I would have given anything if I could go back and get like a pre-contest post-contest uh you know hormone panel before yeah. keto and now i, I got a, a blood test at the beginning of this prep i'm going to get another one at the end of this prep but i wish yeah, i could have done it about you because your fat content's high enough to where you i think would sustain higher hormone output um, yeah uh obviously you know you're still lean and you're still dealing with your own uh issues uh, so there's no way around it uh, if you lean, you lean, and the body's going to remind you of such. Um, but uh, I'm really curious where, where your numbers will be after it's all said and done. Uh, I don't know if you've paid attention to some other natural bodybuilders who diet uh, a little more similar to me with a higher carbs and lower fat, but it's pretty unanimous that their testosterone levels are hitting, gosh, 70 to 100 by the end of prep. Mm -hmm. um, and I, we both know that's just not a healthy place to live. Yeah, I mean that's honestly one of my main motivation mo motivating factors for switching over and doing keto because I just felt I mean you, no matter what type of dieting protocol you follow like when you are lean like you were saying I mean you're going to be hungry you're going to be irritable and you're going to be a little bit more tired but like on a macro level personally yes. I just feel so much better this prep and the last prep that I did when I was keto than I ever did in a prep utilizing carbs. And, and yeah, I, I, that's why I'd love to see, uh, what those numbers end up reading. And, uh, I, <laughs> I, I think that regardless, um, of which diet you choose, um, if you're a natural bodybuilder and you've done, uh, done the work and you put the, you know, that level of, uh, caloric restriction, in, um, I think we're going to all be a, a little tired and run down by the end of it. It's just well, how those hormone markers look, it'll be a very, very curious uh, uh, number profile for you at the end to see, you know, what actually occurred therein. 
Well, we don't have a baseline for you, man, but I would totally sponsor a blood panel test for the both of us. Like you and I both oh, get in and get like okay. a blood hormone panel test done. Uh-huh. I'd be super curious to get the data from you as well. No, I, I think so. I think I might do it uh, just to show people, um, you know, while, while it may look like a, a huge testament to get down to those ridiculously low body fat levels. Um, you know, what, what's going on inside, you know, uh, and I think I had this conversation with a client in regard to, uh, TRT or and, and HRT hormone replacement therapy and testosterone replacement therapy. Uh, and the argument that are in was why are some bodybuilders not allowed to do the IMDF show if they're under prescribed TRT dosages that are within normal levels. And I, I had to explain to them because those levels will fall naturally. And that came as a surprise to them because I'm not normal in the natural bodybuilding level. We all uh, see some degradation there. And if you're optimized or what, you know, a TRT doc would consider it, that's actually higher than we would be if we were, you know, natural. So uh, that kind of solved his dilemma with uh, why TRT was not allowed. Yeah, totally. Let's do it, man. I'll get uh, I'll get the details worked out, and I'll get uh, I'll get us both a, a hormone panel done. They're like they're, there's super easy ways to go about it, and like you can go, just go to like a Quest Diagnostic Center and get all that done for like hardly anything. Awesome. Uh, well, we're both. You're gonna be in Washington regardless of uh, what happens the next few weeks, right? Uh, yeah. So I'll be I'll be in Washington to compete at that show. Uh, you know, April 18th, I believe it is for sure. Yes, April 18th. And, and I'll be there competing as well. And then we're, we're waiting to see if we're going to be in the same class or not, which is what we're both wanting to do. Uh, but it's going to come down to, is it Georgia, Rodney Hilaire show, I think you're doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that one. So we'll just dive into the, the politics. So this is the one thing I don't like about natural bodybuilding, but I think it's probably the same is true with all federations. But there's so much like politics with regard to what divisions honor what cards and all yes. this stuff which i guess it makes sense because i mean i don't know it just makes sense but at the same time a lot of it's just i think for financial gain like they don't want you competing in other federations because then you're not spending the money to compete in theirs so it kind of rubs me the wrong way there but at the end of the day it seems uh money seems to rule the the roost unfortunately mm-hmm. but to answer your question yeah i'm doing a show in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and I believe it's the 28th of March, so uh, about a month out from that. And if I win that show, I'll be qualified to compete as a pro in the the WNBF show in April, which you will be competing in. Lionel will be competing in. I didn't know Lionel was going to – I thought Lionel was going to have to compete as an amateur because I thought he let his time lapse, but he said that they gave him a pardon and he's able to maintain his pro status. So – Ideally, the three of us are all on stage together competing for the pro title. Yeah, and that's it's so awesome because, uh, you know, I think we've followed all of each other's preps the last six years or so. Yeah. Uh, doing this stuff, and uh, we never got to compete with one another. Um, uh, is that right? You never got to compete with Lionel, right? No, no, I did. I competed with Lionel, and uh, it was neck and neck, oh, man. Oh, that's right. Your 2015 prep. Yep, yep, and that he got it. Overall. He got it, and like I won my class. He won his class. We both that's battled it right. out in the overall. Oh, that's where he man. got his pro card. That's where he got his pro card. And oh, wow, that's 
that's right. Now I recall. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not gonna lie, like his his chest was much better. Uh, but I think I think I definitely had him on a lot of other body parts. It was a pretty close competition, but I'm coming. I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment, man. I'm coming for him this time. <laughs> well, I think uh, uh, yeah, having a, a rematch has got to be one of the biggest motivating factors for you. Uh, yeah, and Lionel, he's gonna be competing throughout the whole year. Uh, speaking of my show I put on July 25th, uh, IMBF Cecil Phillips Classic, uh, he'll be one of our guest posers. So uh, we're going to have yourself as a booth sponsor. We're going to have Lionel as a guest poser, and I'll be promoting the show. So we get to reunite a couple times this upcoming year. Yeah, man, that'll be that'll be awesome. Lionel, uh, like he just he just blows me away, man. Like every time he does a prep, he like starts way later than everybody else. He looks like he's got so much to lose. And then I'll, like, be watching him, watching him. I'm like, man, he's, there's no way he's going to come into condition. And then, like, a week goes by and, like, boom, he looks like freaking nature. <laughs> well, that's because Lionel is a freak. Yeah. <laughs> makes I, me, makes I, me I, mad, I've worked man. out with him two or three times. And Lionel's just raw, God-given strength is is just absolutely phenomenal. He, I mean, I've trained I, – probably two to 300 different individuals over 10 years and uh for bodybuilding specifically and uh lionel's strength is uncanny really it is he he his back and legs and even his bench um he's a strong guy and that's just built a, a phenomenal physique of him and uh it'll be fun to be able to finally compete with him on stage yeah for sure he posted a, a little instagram video today of him doing some bicep curls, man. Like two weeks ago, there was like no veins. And now he's like just freaking water hoses all over him. He must have had his sodium. Yeah, that's what it was, man. He got the electrolytes dialed in. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be good, man. And your show in, in July is is not a pro qualifying show, right? So if I get my pro card this year, I cannot compete in that show. It's not a pro show. It's an amateur show. So um, it is a pro qualifier, though. And we actually, for our first year doing it, it was last year. Um, and that was a big step, you know, for me because I was, I've been hounded by the powers that be for a few years to do it. And I wanted to make sure I was ready. And uh, I felt like last year was the year it was. And we ended up with 50 athletes out of 54 that signed up. Uh, some, you know, illnesses and such arise at the end, but we had a couple drop out. But with 50 athletes, we awarded eight pro cards, uh, which I don't think has been done since 2000. No, no, excuse me, 1999 um, in the INBF. So uh, we we ended up just blowing the, the doors off. I had to actually solidify two permits to make more room last minute for the front and back of the building because uh, we ran out of space. Um, so we had uh, a venue that had 300 seats. We filled every one of them. Uh, we had the backstage just completely packed. So I had to kind of create more backstage behind the building. Um, it was awesome. So we, we had a pro bodybuilding winner, figure winner, fit body winner, uh, bikini winner, men's physique winner, and then a master's bikini, master's figure, and master's bodybuilding winner. So um, eight pro cards allotted for that day. Uh, which it was just awesome. We, we had a lot of good athletes, and I feel like we really um, uh, found a vein of natural bodybuilding here in Oregon that just was untouched before. Well, I've heard nothing but good things about the show, and, and just knowing you as a person, and I have, I have no doubt that it was put on 
you know, just flawlessly. I'm I'm excited to be able to be there this year, have a booth and everything, and help support any way I can. It's just it's just good good vibes all around. I appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you there and uh, getting your booth up and going. We have a we have actually a pretty big ketogenic um, uh, crowd here in Eugene. There's a restaurant down the road called the Elkhorn Brewery, and they have a it's like a Keto Tuesdays, and it's the most popular day of the week. And I'm going to be putting up some uh, info about you there, so people can come by the show and uh, pick up some keto bricks. Oh shoot, yeah, man, that'll be awesome. If I'm not in prep still, I'll have to check out that restaurant for sure yeah you you will i was gonna <laughs> i was gonna make sure we sent you that way it's not far from our venue either nice nice so let's dive into the i feel like there's a lot of just misinformation out there with regard to how to sustainably be a bodybuilder and like go through a proper building phase and a proper cutting phase and i feel like natural bodybuilders have this stuff figured out better than most because we're just so real time with the feedback our body gives us. I mean, like when you're that low in calories and you're that lean, like you can literally just tell, you know, within minutes of eating a certain food, how your body's going to respond. And I feel like just having that awareness of your, your body and how it's functioning has given me a lot of, it's just shed a lot of light on like what is healthy and what is not. Um, but I see so many people, I, I get emails and, and, you know, inquiries all day long about how people have just chronically undereaten and they're wanting to lose body fat. And I'd, I'd love to just hear your perceptive perception on like what is a healthy way to go about building muscle, losing body fat, how long should you be in a deficit, how long should you be in a surplus, like just kind of speak to that a little bit. Okay, well, I, I believe it's goal-oriented for everybody. If, uh, you know, we're uh, shooting for uh, a contest, let's start there since well, that's kind of what our podcast is about. Uh, we want to make sure we have enough a lot of time. So uh, if we rush a diet, meaning to me, that's exceeding a pound and a half of body fat loss per week, uh, typically we're going to notice more lethargy. We're going to lose some lean tissue, lose strength, and not be able to present our best physique. So you have to do the math. You look at the amount of weeks you have before a show, um, and then a lot what you believe would be what I'd say is your lean body mass, a, a, a truly lean natural bodybuilder who's really trying to get down to the true stage conditioning. Um, should probably look at what their lean body mass number uh, is, and that can be done, as you know, by uh, by electrical impedance, uh, anthropometrics, DEXA, underwater scale weight, and then you want to stick with that form of body composition uh, throughout your prep, just so you have a basis of comparison. Uh, and they want to maintain that lean body mass number that you you have at the beginning of prep. So first things first, establish enough lean tissue to be competitive. Not the biggest fan of telling someone, do a show just to do a show and knock it off your bucket list. Mm -hmm. And the reason being, it's expensive, it's time-consuming, heck, it's life-changing for some. I've seen relationship issues, family issues, uh, I've seen financial hardships. So first make sure it's realistic and then make sure you have enough time uh and when that's all said and done then we want to make sure that we can adhere to the diet if you start a diet off and you're very monotonous in that diet meaning i'm eating the same thing day in day out well that's easy to know where your numbers need to be for a deficit but it's not adherable due to nutrient deficiencies so i am a fan of trying to have for example protein content to be the widest amino acid spectrum possible, meaning 
you're not going to do too well off chicken, 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 chicken. Uh, those who do that, they never want chicken again after a prep. Um, I would rather have them bury their amino acid spectrum and be like, okay, I had egg whites, I had whey, I had pea protein, I had chicken, I had turkey, I had lean beef, I had pork. Um, and, and vary that so satiety might be a little greater. But on top of that, we don't end up with uh, those... Uh, monotonous diets that lead to nutrient deficiencies. And the same thing is true for uh, carbohydrates, vegetable content, and fat content. Um, once you find, let's say, an ideal day that has that four or five different protein sources, that four or five different vegetable sources, uh, then see if you can sustain that. Uh, and I see a lot of success with my clients who have that spectrum and that variety, uh, who do not repeat that protein shake every hour or do not repeat that chicken and rice meal every meal. Uh, those are the ones that seem to not binge after a show and not go crazy on a refeed. Uh, they can adhere a little greater. Uh, and if you can do that, then it becomes more of a lifestyle because you learn tactics, you learn timing, you learn what you respond best to. Like you said, uh, everybody's GI is a little different and you will know very quickly as a natural bodybuilder when, <laughs> something does not agree with you. So mm -hmm. you be like, you know what? I learned from that. I'm going to abstain from that uh, shrimp or that tilapia or that chicken thigh, or, you know, maybe you can't stomach yams. Uh, whatever it may be, you'll be able to have your um, your basis of comparison. And, and so uh, my recommendations are always first, you know, can we adhere? And if so, then let's stick with it. And when we need to make another caloric drop we will off of things that are a little excessive i like it i like it and then do you typically i mean you drop calories very gradually i feel like yes. that, that's something that you and i both do i feel like that's pretty common knowledge in most natural bodybuilding <laughs> circles but i feel like that is not common knowledge overall no no i've seen some pretty large caloric drops off people before they're like you know eating i was eating three now i'm eating two it's like well, what happened to every you know, hundred between the two, uh, you can't really get a lot of information about your body therein. And I feel like the same thing is true with refeeds. Uh, I, I, I say a refeed is different than a cheat meal because a refeed is a calculated increase in caloric consumption. Mm -hmm. And a cheat meal is a, a, a big question mark increase in calories of uh, random means uh, and usually something that's less controlled. If you can't account for your refeed, how do you garner information for showtime? So my, my individuals typically try to emulate what their show week would look like. Uh, you know, some people call this peak week. Uh, I try to make sure they can stomach that increase in calories for one. And then two, they monitor their look the following day. And three, they calculate the quantity of food that they consume. So we can try and emulate the best look for showtime. Do you typically have like a like a baseline starting point for what that increased percentage is for like the first trial refeed? Yes and no. Uh, it depends on the solid diet. If they're an individual who is a lower carb dieter, I'm going to be pretty hesitant to have a huge spike in carbohydrates. Um, I may increase the protein even, um, depending on, you know, their midsection and their digestive habits. But, um, we'll, we'll play around with them a little bit with, uh, sodium more so than, than my higher carb dieters and then my higher carb dieters i usually double their carbohydrate intake gotcha gotcha my i was looking on the calendar today my 
first trial because I'm going to do two trial peak weeks before this show in Georgia to kind of make sure things are fine-tuned and dialed yeah. in. And my uh, so my first refeed of the prep is going to be in two weeks uh, from yesterday, actually. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to do about a 30% increase in total calories, um, of which it's about split 50-50 between fat and protein. Um, mm-hmm. But my total carbs are still going to be around 20. But that's and that's put what me... I do, but vice versa with uh, carbohydrates and fat myself. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, we both know what we tolerate and what we don't. Uh, in fact, I remember your 2017 prep. Uh, I think that was the introduction. You trying to have a keto brick backstage mm-hmm. as your, as your uh, refeed. And, uh, man, look at that. Born and, uh, right right off the stage for anyone who is listening to this and had their, their keto bricks and been purchasing them. Uh, you you trial run it first, sir. Yeah, I'm really proud of that, man. Like, I, I never planned on making the keto brick a product. And you saw me eating them before it was ever even an yes. inkling of a product. Yeah. So that's like it, validation right there. Yeah, exactly exactly so uh, hats off to you on that regard. i appreciate that man i appreciate that yeah it was it was kind of funny because we were we were driving to washington 2017 for the show and i had these you know first generation keto bricks that i had made took a picture and posted on instagram and it was like i had the macros on there and everybody was like yep. what in the world are you eating <laughs> a, a thousand calorie brick of food yeah it was something else uh, i I was excited to see the result too. It was pretty cool to see you be able to kind of just chew on that backstage. It's similar to travel ready. You know, you didn't need a fridge. You were, uh, it was a, a smart go to. Yeah, man. I mean, everybody else was back there eating rice cakes and I'm eating just this <laughs> exactly. 90 gram brick of fat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more Crazy. than I get in three days. <laughs> oh, no, man. You, you go as far as to like cut out fish oil pills at, at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, if if I can't get to my fat content uh, with official maintain in there, but I do a, uh, account for my official consumption. So my my fats just kind of non-existent because any fat attached to the fish oil or let's say uh, fat that I use uh, like cooking spray or um, uh, I can't believe it's not butter spray. You know, all this stuff adds up uh, over the course of the day. And so I just don't add really any fats. Um, and then I save what I would say I have remaining, which is about 15 grams of fat. Um, typically at the end of the day, I have just shy of a serving of peanut butter uh, to help me sleep, essentially. So it's like the last thing I consume during the day is my only real fat source. Uh, and I find that that can uh, allow me to get through that, that night of sleep successfully. What, what is your hunger level like right now? Is it... Is it ramping up pretty good? Are you pretty hungry throughout the day? I was hungrier a couple weeks ago when I did that 16-week push. Um, that was definitely the hungriest I've been. And since then, I've been honestly kind of scared because I, I haven't been as hungry. And uh, I, I also have been the, uh, the last, let's see here, a, two weeks ago all the way to a week ago was caloric maintenance week for me, a diet break. And then I resumed the caloric deficit last week and I started feeling it, but really it's way more tolerable than it's ever been at this body fat percentage. But, uh, this week should be bringing the hurt. Uh, we're, we're back to pushing hard, uh, for the next five weeks. So I, I'm looking for my most aggressive push the next five weeks. I'll probably see as low as 1900 calories by the end of this, um, per day. And that'll be, uh, uh, reassessed here in a few weeks. 
I'm going to be at 1950 starting Monday. But I'm I'm like 166 right now. You're like 20 pounds over me, aren't you? Uh 16, 17, yeah. Yeah, so we you get a little bit of you're, you're taller than me too, though too, aren't you? How tall are you? I'm five eleven and a half. Yeah, I'm five. I'm saying five eight, but Chris looks says I'm five seven. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm somewhere in there. Um, what what do you do like? Because the thing about you know knowing when to do these refeeds, knowing when to have you know an increase in calories, a decrease in calories, like it's so intuitive. Like it's like I'm I'm writing a book and I'm I'm making all this content and it's kind of hard like as i sit here and think about this it's it's kind of hard to explain cuz so much of it's just like innate knowledge of just your body and kind of knowing instinctively what it's going to respond well to and not well to so like what are you personally looking for when you're like okay my body would benefit from a keto or not a keto but just a caloric refeed uh number one is always adherence uh if i feel like i cannot adhere to this diet another day that's a, a sure sign that a, a diet break or uh, because I mean then, then you're done right you push so hard that you are thrown in the towel um, and not many people get to that point but I have been to that point I've been disciplined enough to just say I'm going to push past three feeds until you know the cows come home and uh, then I pay the price um, and then I, I not only am I lethargic I'm not sleeping I'm extremely irritable but then my workouts suffer and I find that my my workouts suffer to the point where I'm not getting the work volume done in the gym um, that makes me a bodybuilder, then it's probably not where I need to be uh, calorically. So, but if I'm just really hungry, but I'm still hitting my numbers in the gym, still getting my volume in, I'm still recovering, I don't find the refeed to be necessary. Uh, typically though, most of my athletes, uh, if they're ahead of the game or they're on track or they're getting a refeed once a week. And this is both for psychological and physical benefit. Uh, it's something I look forward to uh, psychologically. Uh, but physically, I typically get more output from a competitor when they have more calories. So if they have a troublesome day, and my coaching habits are that I put your refeed on your weakest muscle group. So if someone's like, well, my legs are behind. Well, I'm going to give you a little more fuel on that day. And that'll be a refeed day. And I'm not a fan of putting it all in one go, like a cheat meal. I'd rather have you spread out those carbohydrates or if you're one of my low-carb dieters, the fat and protein content, um, uh, throughout the day to utilize it for your workout. Uh, and that's when I utilize refeeds. And there's also times that I cut the refeed out entirely. I can tell someone's behind. They're not where they need to be, but they're not – they're not walking in the door and looking me in the eye like a starving animal and, and saying, I cannot continue. Um, so there's a time and a place for, for both. Yeah, totally agree, man. I can tell like personally that I'm in the point in my prep where I just feel a bit flatter than I typically do. Um, yes. And a lot of that is electrolyte related and whatnot, but I can tell like I'm, I'm getting low enough on calories that I'm just feeling... Like I can tell that my metabolism is down regulated a little bit. So I'm pretty keen to see how the, the refeed will help kind of ramp things back up. Yeah. And, and to each their own, I think uh, there's something we said about the hormonal benefit. Maybe you're someone who's chronically had poor sleep recently due to the diet. Um, a refeed can really give you a good night's sleep and you'll feel like a million bucks the next day. Uh, and then for others, you know, they, 
just get a better pump. They get more energy in the gym. Uh, during my diet break two weeks ago, um, dude, I, I can't believe how big I looked in the gym. I being this body fat percentage and eating just that 300 more calories per day. Um, it was ridiculous. Uh, I could not move my, my arms, uh, after lifting because they were so pumped and I hadn't experienced that since, I don't know, four or five months ago when November, maybe, uh, latest during Thanksgiving timeframe, um, mm-hmm. because I've been in a deficit for so long. So, uh, that was pretty cool to see and feel, but, um, now that we're getting aggressive again, uh, being a clerk deficit as a natural bodybuilder, you're going to be flatter and, I find that um, you're going to have to get to the point where you're extremely flat to get lean enough. Uh, yeah, totally. Where you are questioning, am I a bodybuilder anymore? Because yeah. <laughs> things just will not stand up. But it, without going through that phase, you're just probably not going to get lean enough. Um, obviously, there's some outliers out there who sometimes can maintain a little bit more muscle fullness. I know I train a couple of them who have just been under the iron for 20 or 30 years. And, uh, it's just, you know, second nature at this point for their physiques to maintain that muscle fullness. But um, I think every prep I've done, I maintain a little bit more. Uh, but I, I know in a few weeks from now, we're going to be seeing that very skinny self and I have to uh, be okay with it for the time being. That's, that's so huge, man. I feel like as soon as people start to feel flat, they automatically go to putting in more calories. And I've always kind of said that you have to go from full to flat in order to get to freaky. And yes. like, you just have to go through that. Like you, you can't get to the other side if you don't, and you just have to embrace it. Yes. I, I commonly look back at some of my preparation pictures at the very end of last prep. And, uh, I, I don't look like a bodybuilder at all. I look like, uh, really like a starving little child. And, uh, I mean, we're talking skinny, skinny, skinny looking. And I, I remember also taking photos the next day after, or 600 grams of carb refeed and I um, in my look, but I gain <laughs> I gain an exuberant amount of weight off of that carbohydrate refeed, uh, about 18 pounds. And wow. um, when I do that, I know it's it's substantial. So I'll go from those 170s to the mid 190s um, by the next day, and all the lines stay, but the muscle fullness is outrageous. Uh, but without establishing those lines, it's just not, you know worth it so like you said you gotta you gotta go from flat to freaky yeah and i feel like it's funny because you know when i first started the sport and i would i would you know go through a a contest prep i'd be just so stubborn and and so bullheaded i'm like i can't have a refeed i can't give in i looked at it as a negative and i would just diet 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 and i would never be able to fill out to the full potential and now it's like I don't know, I think this, you, you just gain so much more maturity and like experience with the more preps you do, the more you kind of self-experiment because you can kind of like just know when your body needs to eat more, when you need to be more strict. And then when you have that power, I mean, it's just, it's just cool to know your body so well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, you can't pay for it. You have to experience it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so what about the uh, you kind of alluded to the the post show you know put on a bunch of weight let's talk about like the the rebounds the reverse diets kind of what's your protocol and strategy there uh, that is totally dependent on everybody um, I 
you know, I've seen an experience with strict reverse dieting. I've seen loose reverse dieting. I've seen free-for-alls. Um, and I've experienced everything in between. Um, at this point in my career, my advice for both myself and my clients is we want to return to hormonal balance as quickly as possible. So uh, for some people, that's a few pounds, meaning I got, you know, three to five pounds on this female bikini athletes. They, you know, they, they're out of amenorrhea. They're, they're back to having a normal period. Uh, this is a, a must. Uh, that's where I'm going to have an athlete go to. For some of my men, uh, such as myself, it's going to take 10 to 12 months uh, to get back to that point. And once we get to hormonal balance, when we start feeling our body temperature raise again, when we start sleeping better, when we start uh, having energy and, and you know excitement again in life, that's when I slow down the the reversing and we start having more of a calculated increase in calories. Um, but typically I don't see a deficit to getting back the hormone balance abruptly. Uh, if that means that you had to go out and you had, you know, uh, essentially your normal diet day and a big refeed that evening and that happened every day for the week after a contest, I'm okay with it as long as we don't overdo it. There's some semblance of normalcy on your day um, because I want to get you back to being a human being again. Uh, once that's established, and again, that's dictated on everybody, their body fat, their gender, uh, their weight, but then I slow it down and I start saying, okay, we're showing signs, this be by a skin fold anthropometric body composition. If the distribution of body fat is is off, meaning let's say they just are having adipose tissue at their midsection. There's just no uh, body fat being garnered elsewhere or we can see hormonal degradation continue. Uh, I might have to monitor things a bit more closely. Uh, but again, everybody's different. Uh, I have usually my female athletes, uh, they, I'd say get back to hormonal balance a little slower than males do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to make sure that I check their compositions every week following the show. And for my men, I typically look at their average body weight per week um, and their increases in speed there. So the first little bit there, right after the show, are you, you're kind of letting them be intuitive with, you know, just eating until they, they feel better for, you know, just feel human again, or are you kind of having some degree of calculation there? Yes and no. I, I, we know at that point what they uh, were doing in order to get show ready. Uh, and typically, if they're a low-fat dieter, I'm bringing their fat content up mm -hmm. uh, because we need to get that hormone balance back. And for my people who had more protein and fat in their diet, but less carbs, we're going to bring their carbohydrate content back up. The, the things that I find where people make the most mistake is when they throw in the towel and they stop living. You have like four or five different fitness um, specifics that you need to abide by. One, one is going to be obviously still training, resistance training. Two right. is going to be, you've been doing cardio probably a pretty large amount up until that point. Um, nutritionally, you've been on a diet. Supplemental-wise, you've been consistent. Uh, and then five um, is kind of, your, your niche, your, your non-exercise activity, thermogenesis. I'm not a fan of people dropping more than one of these after a show. So people who go, I'm not following my diet, I'm not picking myself, so I'm not doing cardio, 
screw weightlifting, I'm tired of it, and I'm not going to move my body. These are the ones who get in trouble. They drop it all. Uh, you can't do that. You know, drop one aspect. And typically that one aspect is going to be nutritionally, I'm going to let you have a little more freedom. Um, but you've got to maintain your supplementation. you got to still lift. you got to put those calories somewhere. Uh, you have to keep your mindset of I'm taking care of my physique and uh, I, I'm still hitting my steps. I'm still moving my body. Um, that's kind of my rule of thumb. You, you can't you can't stop being a bodybuilder just because it shows over. I like that. That's, that's wise words for sure. What about, uh, you know, the frequency of, of doing a competition prep and competing? I feel like far too many people compete every year and they wind up just running themselves on the ground. And I feel like you have a pretty good handle on making sure you're taking enough time off to have a legitimate productive off season. Yeah. Uh, and I think that comes down to the uh, level of the individual. If there's, if there's someone who's been doing this for a very long time, they're going to need longer and longer off seasons in order to see progress. And, and I'm not a believer that you should ever get on stage without beating your last physique. Okay. That yeah. should be, that should be the ultimate goal. And the only one I don't feel like that, should have to abide by that or my over 60 over 70 competitors they are their goals just to be like can i maintain that over 50 physique uh and that's a huge win at that point since we're fighting father time uh however if you're you know a new competitor um i've seen tremendous improvements in a year's time frame from one show to the next for my first timers um and i've seen uh, people do extensive off-seasons from an avid amounts of muscle. But I've also seen people do five, six-year off-seasons where we barely improved. And that showed them that they didn't put the same level of effort into their off-season. And I actually have found more people have a harder time with off-season than on-season. Maybe that's because there's this ticking time clock and this hourglass that they're, they're watching and they feel that sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. uh, for those who are truly successful in the sport, they feel that sense of urgency in the off season as well. Uh, they're like, wow, I have three years. And for me, that's how it's been this off season. Like I have to make these workouts count. I have to get stronger. I have to be old me because I remember the numbers and the reps and the weights that I did prior uh, as a bodybuilder and as a power lifter. And if I can't exceed that workload, then I shouldn't compete again yet. I, I need to beat that person first. Totally agree. What what year was your last show? 2016. 2016. Yeah, mine was 2017. So both of us had a pretty significant off season. So I hope that we can both look at pictures from then and now and see a pretty substantial difference. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like I've already uh, looked back at my last cut pictures and went, wow, this body weight I'm I'm way better. Uh, obviously, I haven't hit the 170s yet, like last prep, but we got seven weeks and we'll be there. Um, and I can tell that I, I did garner more muscle size and uh, a lot more vascularity and uh, muscle separation. Uh, and I think you know, uh, for four years, that, that I hope that happened. I'm, I'm a little I'm a little curious to see where I'm going to wind up because I think my last show I competed at 156, maybe 157. I don't recall, but I'm you know, a month out from the first show and I'm yes. sitting at 166.9, basically 167. I'll, I'll still like, I'll typically lose the, 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 you know, biggest little bulk right there at the end. Uh, yes. but I don't think I'll drop that much. So I feel like I'm going to be competing a little heavier than I have in the past for sure. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I'm thinking maybe I got a pound and a half, maybe, maybe two pounds of lean tissue out of this prep, this uh, off season. We'll see. We, we, we won't know until we get there, but I, I weighed in at John Nickerson's Northwest Royal show, IMDF show, uh, September of 2016. 40 week diet at 170 is the lightest I had seen since 2009 on my, on my body. Uh, and then I, I remember going up to him later that day because he let me weigh in first thing in the morning, like 5.30 a.m., about 1 p.m. And I said, hey, John, can I get on the scale again? And he goes, why? I go, oh, well, I've been carving up. And he's like, oh, okay. So I got on the scale. I go, how much do you think I'm going to weigh? And he said, I don't know, 184, 185, thinking I put on seven or eight pounds. And I was 194 by that afternoon. And That's he would keep. You should have seen his eyes. He's like, what did you do? He, he totally <laughs> thought I went and just ruined my physique. Um, but I, for some reason, I when I carve up, I, I put on a, upwards of 20 pounds uh, when I do so. And uh, came in looking how I needed to the next day. So I'm hoping to, to do the same this next time. That's insane, man. See, I, I will weigh pretty much the same thing the night before actually i'll probably weigh less the day of than i do the night before um, yeah i think that has to do with uh carbohydrates and water retention oh totally but i don't have any problem getting the pump or having the vascular like yeah, my, no, my absolutely weight not. is just absolutely. much more weight. stable yes correct uh, so we'll see what uh what what ends up happening but um i think we're both gonna be seeing that next tier down in scale weight. You, you might see the 159 again, and uh, I might see a 170s again. Yeah, for sure, man. So one, one more question for you, brother. You, you've done this several times. You're more seasoned in the sport than I am. You, you know what I look like now. You yes. feel like I'm going to be coming in pretty sharp, or you feel like I'm too far out? Well, for which show? For for the one in Yeah, the one, in, the one in April. Oh, so I, you know, I've never been to Rodney's show, um, and I, I have actually not looked back at his class winners and such in the past. Um, I do feel like spring shows or late winter shows, even I think it's spring break the weekend that you're competing there, um, typically don't have as conditioned competitors as say summer or fall shows, and that's simply because weather. Um, people are more likely to get leaner when it's hotter out. Um, so I think that you're right on track for uh, the first show of the year, essentially, the spring show. And then I think with three more weeks of dieting thereafter, uh, I think you're right on track as well. Uh, your, your muscle retention is why, though. It's not, it's not because you're um, depleted by any means, but I think that you've been able to maintain your muscular size really well. Uh, and that will always make us appear like we have uh, the best body composition we can. Yeah. I'm excited to see it all for sure because, I mean, it's it's interesting how, I don't know, like the, the last couple months, I made a post about it the other day, but like the last couple months can't happen without the first several months, but so li many little changes start to really peek through that last little bit, and it's just exciting to watch the changes. It is. It is. It's exciting to see new stuff on your body. I, I think when you first start bodybuilding, whether you're natural or you were an untested competitor, uh, the biggest excitement is waking up in the morning or getting in the gym and looking in the mirror and seeing something you've never seen before that you you established. You did that. You worked hard. And, you know, you put that 
new slab of muscle in or a new line on their body. Um, and I will say my last prep in 2016, it was about five days after the show when I finally saw something that I hadn't seen before. And like, so that cut really stung because I felt like it was uh, the same physique as the 2014 showing I had. Um, and in this prep, I've already seen stuff early, early, you know, weeks, months out from showtime that I've never seen before. Uh, and I, that incentive to keep going uh, is, is huge. So, so I think uh, if you're, you're putting the work in, you have a long enough off season, uh, you do build some excitement uh, because it's really a, a battle against you. Uh, can I beat old me is always the question. Totally agree, man. It's funny because, you know, we're all hoping to be stepping on stage competing against one another, and we're all very competitive. So, like, I'm, I'm going to be up there trying to rip your head off just as much as the next guy. But that said, like, I am totally competing against me. You are totally competing against you. And when we both know that we've given it our all, yeah. like, that's all that matters. It really is. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if whether you call that maturity or you just realize the value of competition. But I think that uh, the one who truly is, you know, that has mastered themselves and realized that at the end of the day, I'm trying to progress beyond anything I've been at before because I can't control what Lionel does. I can't control what Robert does. I can only control what Aaron does and uh, use that to your full advantage in, I find that I'm less stressed, I guess you could say, uh, when that's my only concern. 100%, man. It makes it much more just enjoyable as a sport. Like if you're letting your anxiety pick up so much that you're worried about what every other competitor is doing that you have no control over, it just makes you miserable. Whereas if you just focus on what you can have immediate control and effect on, and then you do that to the best of your ability, then no matter what the judge's placing is, like you've already won. I think that's correct. I, and that's how I felt. I don't know how many shows you've done where you didn't quite get the placing you wanted, but you were so satisfied with your physique. Mm -hmm. um, I experienced that for the first time in actually my first and second show. Uh, I got third in both classes and I was so happy. I didn't care that I went. I brought the best package I could. And then my third show was the first show I actually ever won. And I was not content because I knew I half-assed it. And while I had a better physique than I did in the past too, I didn't give myself 100% effort. And I said, I will never do that again uh, because it felt like shit. Yeah. And I, I don't want the feeling of being like, wow, I had room in the tank to push. So, so that's all the goal is from in this next seven weeks is – no room left in the tank, everything I've got, and then it's done. And then I'll have no regrets. And you don't want to spend the next four-year off-season with a, a what-if, you know? Totally, man. That's why this is so much more a mindset sport than it is a physical sport. But that's why I love it. Absolutely, yeah. It's far more mentally than physically taxing. 100%. Well, listen, man, I want to be respectful of your time, um, but I'm incredibly excited to see you in person, hopefully excited to step on stage against you, and I know we're going to make some waves this year. So I appreciate the opportunity to have you on the podcast here, and where can people go to find out more about you and follow along, man? Uh, they can follow me on Instagram at Genuine Fitness Training or follow our show promotional page, INBF Cecil Phillips Classic, 
uh, or they can just get on Facebook and follow me, Aaron Orson. Awesome. I will link up to those, make it easy for people to get in touch, and I will be seeing you in seven weeks, man, battling it out on stage with you. Absolutely. Well, keep me updated on uh, March and everybody else because uh, I want to see those picks and uh, stay tuned. I will be uh, at my wife's competition that same day, so I'll be sneaking, looking down at my phone, see if I can see some Georgia picks. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. I'll keep you posted for sure. <laughs> All right, man. Have a great day. See you, man.